and welcome to Map Bites episode 59. I'm Elaine Giles and I'm here with my co-host Mike Thomas. In this episode we have rampantly uppity updates, garbage collection and mile high showers. I know you're intrigued aren't you but you'll just have to wait because first sage advice for Mike from Dan showing concern for my welfare at the iPhone 4S launch. Yes after listening to the last show he said can I suggest that for the next location I launch that you take a thermos of tea to placate at Elaine Giles. Now I said good thinking but at stupid o'clock we only have tech on our minds and he came back and said I detect a gap in the market. I brew. I'm liking that. Yes I like that too. Yeah I've sort of got an eyebrewer though haven't i who me or siri yes i'm working on siri no i meant you (laughs) all right okay (laughs) working on me as well true yes but i'm getting further with you should we move on to this week's kit catastrophes oh must we yes i think you should start with your usb hub yes i have two usb hubs attached to my imac um one's probably slightly overloaded and the other one's had an easy life which couldn't really explain too well why that was the one that curled its toes up. But um, not to worry. I ascertained it wasn't working. Not working correctly, anyway. And uh, tried to find another one. Not good. Couldn't find one. Eventually did find one. Um, Replaced it. It worked. Problem was, uh, you've seen this issue where you get, it'll synchronise devices, but it won't charge them. Yeah, I've come across that several times with my stuff. Which was upsetting, really, because the speed wasn't at all bad with it, but I knew it was going to need power. And that's not good, because then I've got to find somewhere to plug it into. But I did. So I I plugged it in. And um, as Steve would have said, boom. And not boom in a good way. No, no. More (laughs) boom in a more literal way. There was a bang and um, smoke started pouring out the back. Uh, Yeah, that's not unusual here at MacBytes headquarters, is it? Sadly not. But um, it was just about that time it got worse. Yes. Yes, I'm sure people have this image of working from home. You know, the myth. Lazy mornings, sauntering into the office at noon, inbox zero in five minutes, whilst enjoying a nice cup of tea. Siri permitting. The training's going well. (laughs) Classical music playing quietly in the background as I ease myself gently into the day. And then, of course, there's reality being greeted by the sound that strikes fear into the very soul of every systems engineer. For the uninitiated, and the blessed who have never heard that sound, it was a drive failing. The question was, which one? Yes, indeed, which one? Well, I... I tracked the noise down to my um, shelf of drives and equipment. And then every time I got near it to, to, you know, put my ear close and work out which one it was, it stopped. And then just as I'd sat down, it started again. So I'd been up and down, going backwards and forwards to this cupboard. So in between it making that noise and not making that noise, I, I counted the drives on the shelf. And I was mentally thinking, no, it's not that one and it's not that one. And some of them weren't plugged in. Which was just as well, because um, the final tally of drives on the shelf was 51. 19 of which were turned on, and 18 of which were functioning. (laughs) It was just which one. So I'm sat there thinking, "Mm, what would the best case scenario be? And I'm thinking, 
documents drive only just replaced that one photos drive oh never good i had two photo drives fail the same day so luckily i always have a third backup so i thought mm, could be that one then there's the system image that's image twice a day could have been that one but no it was worse than that it was the itunes drive no oh yes <clears throat> yeah that was my sentiments exactly uh, i left it a few days being honest couldn't face it but then the noise got worse the noise got worse than the thought of actually having to deal with it and change it. That was just about the time I got an error message as well. You know, we talked about cryptic error messages. Oh, this one was a classic. A 1407 error. I know what you're thinking. What's a 1407 error? Well, Mike filled me in. Yes, it's a Windows installer error. I think it's safe to say it's not. Or not in these circumstances, it wasn't. According to the Apple discussion site, it's a Windows installer error. Mm. <laughs> no, no. Well, whatever it was, it didn't get any better. So then I had to change the drive. But it was OK, I thought. I've beaten iTunes into submission with a stick before, as we've discussed several times, so I was confident. What do they say about it coming before a fall? Exactly. No, 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 seriously, it wasn't that bad. If only it... You see, I know all the tricks. This was why it all ended up OK, because I know all the tricks. But I thought it would be easier than it was, to be honest. I had an exact copy of the drive. So all I had to do was take out the iTunes drive, replace it with the backup iTunes drive, rename it and open the library. What could possibly go wrong? That's what I thought, because it literally was an exact copy. So as long as I'm opening up the iTunes library from that replacement drive and I've already renamed it to iTunes, nothing could go wrong. Mm, she said. So I did that and um, I, I checked it. I wasn't falling again, not after what happened last time, which for those uninitiated, I found that um, iTunes was doing its own thing. It was moving stuff around on the drive for no good reason at all. It was literally just reorganising everything at file system level. It wasn't changing anything in iTunes, just randomly moving stuff. But I was on to it this time. I checked that first. So the first thing I did was update my apps and there were two app updates. So it downloaded those. Uh, the next thing I did was just play one song and then went to have a look at the drive. And yes, it had created another mobile apps folder at root level and it had moved this one song from where it was. So it had actually managed to create a split an album and take one track and put it at root level and leave the other tracks off the album where they were. And I thought, here we go again. I'm sure this, this started with iTunes 9 and it was that option to rearrange your media files. But to me, once you've set that, it must store it somewhere. And the logical place would be in the library. But no, wherever it stores that information, it is not in the library. And it must have known that that was a different library. <laughs> yes, I'm going to have to have words with it. I, I wasn't fooling it. So I had to go in again and it's, I think it's file organised library or something. And there's two options. And no matter how long I sit and stare at those two options, neither of them makes any sense because the media's already there. And it's talking about copying it in, but it's already there and it's already in the right place. 
So I, I elected to go for the second option and it took easy 25 minutes and it didn't, all it did was move the three files back to where they'd come from. But obviously it had to go through and check every other file and there's one point whatever terabyte of information. So there was half an hour I'll never see again. But it was fixed. And the end of my iTunes nightmare. Or was it? Probably not. Sadly, no. That was when my mum's library started doing its own thing as well. I know. Uh, this one wasn't a failed drive. This was just... It took one on itself, yes. Hot on the heels of Dr Quinn, her latest craze is Ensis, all eight series of it. So they're all there, they're all labelled, they're all numbered, they're all identified with the Identify app we talked about last time. And there they were. And there they've been sat for a couple of months, minding their own business. I don't even know what I was checking this time, but I do keep an eye on it. And now she only accesses this library through the Apple TV, so there's no way that she can move anything, delete anything, or do anything horrendous with it. And it is backed up, yes, twice. So I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, why is there a ninth series of Ensis? And where has that come from? Uh, it had no artwork and it only had about eight or nine episodes in it. So I went in and had a look and it was just a random collection of other episodes. So it wasn't a collection of episodes from series seven. No, it was just random episode from series two and two from series three, one from five. And I'm sat looking at it thinking, what on earth? Now, those episodes were still where they should be. So if you went into series two, they were all there. You went into series three, they were all there. It had just somehow created this extra set of episodes. What was even worse was most of them, I think about nine out of ten, had exclamation marks saying that the file was missing. Well, the file was where it had always been. Um, it was just this entry had appeared. I mean, how? How does that happen? Why does that happen? This this library is just never touched. All I do is put information in it. I put, you know, files in it. And it had managed to rewrite itself. But at least when you'd done all that, that was the end of it, wasn't it? Um, no, that was when my father's iPhone died. Yes, it's happened before, and yes, I brought it back to life before, and yes, I brought it back to life again. Sadly, not before he had had to leave home without it. <laughs> yes, you can imagine, can't you? I think it was the first time in over three years he hadn't had it with him. And he took out with him, this is how ridiculous this is, he took out with him two pounds in change... <laughs> Can I just say that you'd be exactly the same, except because you don't use yours as a phone, you wouldn't get £2 worth of Twitter. No, I wouldn't, would I? I was wondering where on earth he thought he was going to find a phone box myself. Well, yes. But um, yes, he was bereft and distraught. Um, I did manage to bring it back. It seems to be something to do with a battery. Happened to me once, I think, and I'm sure it's happened to you. I think uh, it has. It was the next bit that has never happened to me and I don't think has happened to you, but it's happened to him twice. It's really weird. Um, I, I cycle the battery. You see, the thing is, he overuses it. Yes, don't, Mark. Everyone's thinking <laughs> you don't overuse your tech. I, I do cycle the battery, but he has it on 24-7. And he, he, like you're saying, yes, he makes phone calls, but probably watching the football on Sky stresses it out more than that. 
poor thing's probably red hot in its two cases um so i i cycled the battery got got it all back did it off and on did the hard reset thing all of that and it seemed okay uh, i wasn't going to start playing around with the apps it seemed all right it kept a charge so when he returned early i might add yeah three hours early he couldn't be parted from it for any longer um i gave it back to him and um first thing he did was check the sky app which was crashing as was every other app on the phone apart from the built-in ones and i knew that that had happened before and i knew there was an answer to it i i could not remember it but what had happened was it had completely lost its itunes credentials and it must have done it at such a level that it couldn't check whether those apps had had been legitimately purchased so what you have to do with it, it's no good to just go in and put the credentials in either. You actually have to go in and purchase a free app. And that seems to kickstart it. Then all the other apps start working. And I just find that so ridiculous. How on earth would an average person know to do that? They wouldn't. Can I just ask which app you bought, by the way? Oh, it was a Sky thing. Ah, yeah, because he then said, thank you for putting that on there. And I thought, you know, I can't even remember what it was. And I'm thinking... Oh, of- this, is the one, this is the one where it came up and said, do you want, do you want notifications? Oh, yeah, then he was, he was bothering you over that. And I thought, if I say yes, every time there's a goal, he'll be notified. So I decided to say no on that one. Yeah, that's a good way to kill a battery, isn't it? I just find <laughs> yeah. it ridiculous that, that, you know, that maybe it's a thing with the 3G. Yeah. It's certainly not happened to me, but it seems to be linked in with the, with the battery needing some care and attention so uh, if it happens to anybody then you know what to do just go and buy a free app i'm going to run out of free apps to buy for him in the end don't i, I should have stuck mm. with something like the ikea app he wouldn't have <laughs> <Yeah>. touched that <laughs> but uh, it wasn't just me was it you had a dead drive of your own i did have a dead drive of my own i've got two drives two bare drives in a cradle one's like my main drive where i put my date and then the other's a backup and i i back it up every every night um and I came came in the morning and I had the message that says this drive um not not had ejected but the the drive is well there's an error message I can't remember what it said but I've seen it before and it's usually the sign of an of an unexpected ejection you know if you if you happen to turn off the the cradle or pull the plug you lose the power off the the cradle um it comes up with a message same same message i think as when you pull a usb drive out without actually ejecting it and although it has happened to me before sometimes i've been lucky where it's not damaged the drive but it, in in this case it it damaged the drive in terms of it can't be written to it can be read from but it can't be written to so I now have a brand new two terabyte drive to replace it uh, and I copied everything over from my main drive and it took 21 hours, I think. Oh, that's not bad then. No, it wasn't too bad. Um, I think I, I came in the morning, said to you, that drive's still going. Yes, because you, you were said, saying, I'm not going to start that yet. I'm going to do it overnight because it'll slow me down too much. <laughs> and you spent the best part of the next day being slowed down greatly. Let yes. that be a lesson to you and your unexpected ejections. Yes, unexpected ejection in the bagging area. Mm. Going back to notifications um, and and uh, you know what we just said about your dad in terms of the the notifications coming up on screen. One thing I noticed, and I didn't realise it was um, it was um, for for the whole system, is on iOS five you can actually for most apps actually control how the notifications appear. 
um, you've got alerts and banners and you, you do it by going into the notifications within settings. And then for each app, I'm actually just looking at it now. Uh, you can choose whether it appears as a banner, which is at the top of the screen. It just sits there for a few seconds or an alert, which takes over the whole screen. And the, the way I found this was my iFooty app. It used to, when I was watching the football, it used to come up and, and advise me there was a goal, which I'd know about because I, I was usually watching the match where the goal was. But it would actually stop the transition of the match or the transmission of the match, should I say. Um, and I would then have to clear the, uh, the alert uh, off the screen and, and carry on watching here. Uh, if I've got it set to banners, it appears at the top of the screen, sits there for four or five seconds, and I'm still watching the match. So you're very happy with that? I'm very happy with that. Um, depends what the goals are, of course. Yes. The first time it came to my attention was when we lost 6-1, but we won't talk about that. No, no. Team I'm interested in lost this weekend as well, so I'm never too happy with that either. Um, I think I, I haven't updated the device that I get my notifications on. So um, at two nil, it was just sitting there staring at me, trying to stare me out. So uh, like you say, least said the better. Now I must remind everybody um, in terms of calendars because we've got lots about iCloud and mobile me and oh dear me. Yes, it's do not copy and paste week in Busy Cal. I wonder how many people remember why. Do not copy and paste week. That sounds interesting. I actually have an appointment in my calendar that stretches across seven days and it says star, 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 do not copy and paste in capitals, star, star, star. Guys and girls, it's <laughs> do not copy and paste week. <laughs> Only in busy Cal, yes. Um, if you remember, I think we discussed this. Do you know, I think it's about a year ago it actually happened. It would be. Yeah, and I think we, we talked about it um, in the spring. And uh, situation is in busy Cal. It's quite odd to find it. So um, unless you meet all these criteria, it won't bother you at all. But if you do, like me, then it is a right royal pain because you've got to triple check everything. But if you work in multiple time zones, so you have time zone support turned on and you have an appointment. So let's say this week it's at six o'clock. Um, well, no, actually, it's got to be um, in another time zone. So 10 o'clock Pacific time on Wednesday. And that would be this week, six o'clock UK time. But next week, it will be five o'clock UK time because um, us in America are changing our time zones at different times. Wouldn't be a problem if we weren't. We wouldn't have a do not copy and paste week. But what I tend to do is um, this appointment on a Wednesday tends to be every week. So all I do is when I finish that appointment this week, I copy and paste it into next week. And obviously, if I do, it pastes it in at six o'clock and it wouldn't be six o'clock. It should be five o'clock. And I have to remember that it's five o'clock. Now, if I create a new appointment, if I don't copy and paste it, if I actually create a new appointment, it creates it at five o'clock. It's the copying and pasting that seems to upset it. So if you copy and paste from inside that transition week, do not copy and paste week, to outside it, the time will be wrong. And if you copy and paste from outside that week into it, it will be wrong. It's all to do with the way that BusyCal handles time zones. Now, we talked to the developers, didn't we? And it was a case of that's a biggie. It would need a bit of a rewrite. So not going to be fixed anytime soon, but you can work around it as long as you know about it. 
Um, it does not affect iCal or Google Calendars if you're on Google, but it will if you access the same data via BusyCal. So be warned, it is do not copy and paste week in BusyCal and it starts on Sunday. Coming to a calendar near you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Well, at last time, I, I inadvertently did copy and paste. And of course, when I logged in at six o'clock, they were saying thank you and goodbye. <laughs> Yeah, I registered for a webinar, uh, which is next week. It's 10 a.m. Pacific time, which should, as you've just said, be 5 p.m. here. But the meeting confirmation, which has got a list of all the times on various locations around the world, actually says 6 p.m. So good job one of us is awake. Exactly. That's what happens. Um, I don't know. They're probably working on the principle that there's usually eight hours difference. And there is, apart from two weeks in the year. And of course, that would be the week that you've registered for the webinar. That's the one, yes. Yes. Yeah. Now, um, we've not upgraded to iCloud, have we? Oh, no. We've got enough grief without deliberately adding to it, especially this week. As they used to say in 24... Events occur in real time. Oh, no. Not at Magbytes headquarters, they don't. Well, not since the great Mobile Me update of May 2011. Yes, the great Mobile Me update. Uh, we have a number of shared calendars, don't we? And uh, this week, you'd updated some events in calendars that you own. And in BusyCal, prior to the great Mobile Me upgrade, I like that, the great Mobile Me upgrade, back in May. Yeah, it's ironic. Yes, the, the changes would actually show up immediately on my calendars. So, you know, you'd be sat at your computer, I'd be sat at mine, we'd be discussing our schedules, and immediately you make a change, shows up on mine, so we know what we're talking about. Since then, it's actually taken, uh, taken anywhere up to, to 24 hours. When you think of what Jack Bauer can get done in 24 hours and what we're doing sitting there waiting for the calendar to update. <laughs> yeah. Now, on Mobile Me on the web, the update is immediate. So it's it's not Mobile Me itself. And doing a sync or a refresh or a close and reopen BusyCal has no effect. As I say, it just causes us problems when we're discussing our schedules. You'll say to me on this particular date and I'll be looking and saying, what are you talking about? I hate what's gone on with MobileMe. Uh, when we had the MobileMe update, we lost calendar groups, which I have that many calendars that I use that feature. Uh, we also lost the ability to see Google calendars online. Now, you mentioned that it's updating immediately at me.com. Now, that would have done. You could actually sit and look at that rather than look at BusyCal. Not ideal, but it would have worked. But now you've lost the ability to see Google calendars online in me.com. You can subscribe and see them in iCal, etc. But it just doesn't work the way it used to prior to that update in May. Um, so you're not actually at me.com seeing all your calendars. Well, we're not because we've got a couple on Google. So that would have worked well, but for the Google thing. So we lost that ability as well. Um, the subscribed calendars are erratic at best, as was proved with the birthday calendar. I think we've got three minsters and two Oz roses at the moment, haven't we? Something like that. And a partridge in a pear tree, yes. So they're just, they're just not working properly. Now post iCloud, um, there's no sync with anything other than Lion for a start. And we've not upgraded to Lion, so we're in a catch-22. So all's not well on the calendar front, is it? Sadly, not, no. Um, we have got Lion on a machine. Yes, just the one. And um, there was an update to Growl, uh, talking of calendars and, and reminders and things. And um, 
Yes, now I can't shut it up. I know this seems ridiculous, but I had Growl installed, so I had a one-stop shop way of shutting up reminders. Because when I'm doing webinars, I don't want various reminders coming up. Now, I might choose to leave a Twitter client open and have it on a secondary monitor. So, and I'd be getting Growls for that on my main monitor, which is being broadcast. So having Growl installed meant that I could just go to, to the menu bar and say, you know, quiet turn you know, stop i forget what the option actually was and i'm actually on a lion machine now so it probably isn't the same uh, there was an option that was you know be quiet and it worked great so i updated to 1.3 got it from the app store it's uh, now an app and it's one pound 49 thinking great and uh, managed to get it working with um prowl I still have my prowls on the growl. No growls on the prowl, isn't it? Whatever, I still have those. Uh, so I got that installed and all of that was working great. Um, I've, I literally could not shut it up. It, it just wasn't having it. So I had to change all the settings, which I did. And just as I thought, right, that's it, beaten into submission, up popped this window. I think they're calling it a roll-up window. And what happens is if you're not there um, and you don't actually dismiss these growl windows, it now puts them in a roll-up window, which is a little bit like the notification centre. Well, it's nice, but if I say be quiet, shut up, don't appear on the screen, that's what I mean. And there is apparently no way to get rid of this thing. They're going to do some kind of update with it. But at the moment, unusable. So that's this week's excuse for us not upgrading to Lion then. Absolutely, yes. Another week, another reason. Oh. I said reason, not excuse. <laughs> yes. Uh, but we did. We have got a couple of useful utilities for those taking the plunge with Lion and or iCloud. So um, one was called Lion Designer, which you said you quite like the look of. I did. That one was, I've got it here actually, if I just flick over to it. That was for changing the look and feel, I think, of the... Um the Mission Control and Launchpad. Although I don't use Mission Control and Launchpad, uh, it does look quite a nice um, little utility. There isn't a disembowel option, is there, for Launchpad? I don't think there is. Oh, shame. Well, maybe they'll do an update and there will be. And um, another one was um, some tips for people moving to iCloud and sharing Apple IDs and sorting all your Apple IDs out. So there's some good information in there as well. So we'll we'll put a link in the show notes to both of those. And um, I've noticed a lot of people going to Lion this week. May the force be with you, as it were. Mm. Now, we've heard from Nick this week, who's um, written a long list of gripes i think we could call it oh just a man after my own heart yes let me read what he said you got five minutes no it's not that long is it i converted to max about 10 years ago as i could no longer accept the total abomination that was the work environment called windows previously i've owned all sorts of computers going back to the early days and including the great at the time amiga 300 I towed it with an iBook, loved it, and soon my work and play environments were 100% Mac. I never play on computers, I regard them as tools, similar to my cameras, but there was no doubt that the work involved, that work involving my Mac was now actually a pleasure. Happy days. Sounds like you actually, doesn't it? Absolutely. Mm. At that point, yeah. Moving on 10 years, and I can only describe the recent plethora of software updates, all released almost at once, bordering on inept. What in hell's teeth were Apple thinking of? That also sounds somewhat <laughs> like me. It does. 
<laughs> to add to this chaos, an upgrade to Aperture rendered this app almost unusable in some respects. I use Aperture each and every day and know it inside out. Simply unacceptable. iOS 5 is a great step forward but really screws up in so many areas. Automatic backup to cloud simply does not work as advertised. Syncing of docs with iCloud is half-baked. Photostream is truly a joke, at least for the pros. Now I have double entries in calendar. Well, we know about that one. Oh, indeed. And that wasn't with iCloud. But guess what? The double entry only appears up to the current day. Tomorrow's double entry will arrive tomorrow. I could go on. <laughs> Something to look forward to. So there, I've said it. Unusual for me to knock Apple, but I needed to vent my feelings. Apple's simply unacceptable. Nick, I could go on and on and on, but at the moment... Now, I think to prove that point, um, there's been a few issues this week, hasn't there? Well, yes. Where do you start with that lot? I've got to agree. I think rolling out, um, it was update Wednesday, wasn't it? It was. They started that just before the 4S. It was ridiculous. The only thing they, they gave us early was um, iTunes. They really needed to stagger it. Why they couldn't do um, across time zones and do it that way because it was the overload on the server that started all that problem when we tried up updating that but he's quite right that everything that's come out since has just been like if if the first thing you did wasn't quite right then the rest of it was going to fall over when you tried doing that so i have to agree i think there was just too much all at once maybe if they'd staggered it a little better um in relation to aperture i must admit this version of aperture never worked for me as well as the old one did and that included installing it on a brand new machine. I know there was some um, talk at the time that, yes, you, if you did it in a certain way, it would slow the machine down. So I left it alone. I thought it needed an update. Um, but then when I got a new Mac, which was about four or five months after it had come out, I put Aperture on it and it was still quite slow and, and just just not great. It just it wasn't as good as the other version. The features set in it is amazing. But it just still wasn't right. And I started with a brand new library. So I, I must admit, I haven't actually ventured in to see what this latest update has done to it because I was already pretty upset with it in the first place. I sincerely hope they bring out a new, a new version of Aperture and, and fix all the problems with it. It'll be, I think it's two years in January. So it's about due one anyway. And I, I wouldn't mind if they didn't add too many new features. I'd just like it to work really, really well just like the old version did. Um, so I know I've got no personal experience of that with Aperture at the moment, but I did try PhotoStream. Now, I didn't intend to because I haven't upgraded to iCloud, but that little incident with, well, just log in with your Apple ID and everything will be fine. Yeah, it wasn't. It created an iCloud account. So I thought, well, while I'm there, you know, I'll test the PhotoStream option. Not good. Um, it was coming through. The photos were syncing across devices. Um, it puts them in this like separate album called PhotoStream. And I'm thinking, well, are they on there twice? Or is it sort of just pointing to those photos? And it, yes, they're coming through. They come. They came through fairly quickly, I thought. But once you start using it, I mean, the biggest problem is you can't delete anything. But once you start using it, it, it just isn't what I thought it would be. So actually, I'm turning it off. This is the only feature of iCloud I've actually tried, and it's doing my head in. So it's going. Uh, double entries in the calendar, not going there yet. Uh, mind you, if you had two entries, as long as they were both right, then at least you'd know what you were talking about. I did have two entries last week, didn't I? On you something. had, yeah. I I moved them. 
And obviously the, the updates had come through, but it hadn't actually... Well, I don't... Did it need to delete them? If you move one, why did it... Why did it make a copy of it and then a day later delete the old I ones? I think I had to wait the 24 hours. <sighs> this isn't what we signed up no. for, is it? It's not. No. Um, now, Nick doesn't mention the Apple TV update, but I will. Oh, not good. First of all, they updated to 4.4. So I did that update. Now, as, as most people know, they're not my Apple TVs. They're my mother's. So they've got to work or oh, imagine no Dr. Quinn. So I did the 4.4 update. It seemed all right. But obviously there were some issues with it. And um, at silly o'clock, they released a 4.4.1 update. And just as I was thinking, of, you know, now's not a good time to try updating that. Um, it disappeared again. And apparently there were issues with it. Um, it disappeared for over a week. And it was sort of, well, why did they put that update out, then pull it, and then nobody's mentioned it since? But uh, yesterday, it reappeared in the guise of 4.4.2. Well, I wasn't falling for it this time. Oh, no, I'm not going to restore the thing or be forced to restore the thing. I thought, you know, if it isn't broken, and at the moment it isn't, I'll let... Oh, Mark did, did, did the honourable thing and tested it. And apparently what needs to happen is the Apple TV needs to be reset for this update to work. And that was the problem with the 4.4.1, apparently. It appeared to brick the Apple TVs. And all it was, it needed a reset. So I didn't even know at that stage that you could actually plug an Apple TV into your Mac and um, restore it via iTunes. <laughs> Never tried that. No desire to try that whatsoever. So I'd left it. But apparently what it does is, it does the first update, which is 4.4.1, and then it goes into a loop and it does 4.4.2. And then it does reset it. If you don't reset your Apple TV, it will reset it for you. And then you've got to reinstigate home sharing. Now, that won't mean a thing to you, will it, Mike? No. No. No, but that means I've got to put in my home sharing password, which with that piddling little remote where you're moving around the screen and a, a password as long as mine, I'm not going to be in a very good frame of mind at all. So I'm disgusted with that update as well. So I... I not happy with the, with the Apple TV update at all. I just think that's a bit... I mean, they did apologise. There's um, a tech note that they put out and, and sort of apologies for this. How did it happen in the first place? It's so on Apple like I mean, imagine that I, I was remotely trying to support my mother. You'd have to make a special trip. There's no way that she could set that up. No way. So luckily I'm not remotely supporting, but that's not the point. It's It's... It's an apple, it should just work, and it didn't. Um, the other thing is the um, sharing of documents, um, iCloud documents. Well, obviously, I've not tried this yet. I'm having enough trouble as it is. But uh, apparently, document loss, where documents are just being wiped out from iWork app. So I'd love to hear from anybody who's had that happen. Uh, you had a look at that, didn't you? I had a look at it, yeah. I found um, a number of, of uh, pages on the discussion forums and... There are ways to get them back. I haven't read exactly how because I haven't lost any because I haven't got iCloud. But, um, yes, there are ways to get them back for those that, that, that uh, those of you. Oh, my teeth again. Those of you that have lost them. Well, uh, yes, I did read that, and it was saying um, 
that these documents are backed up on your system and that you can actually go in and you can get them out of your system. Now, what I have been doing is um, I have a presentation coming up and I need to demonstrate um, Keynote, which is fine. Uh, for, for reasons I'm not, long drawn out reasons I'm not going to go into here, uh, I don't tend to present via Keynote. It's all to do with the slides. And therefore, Keynote's sort of there. I wouldn't exactly say I overuse it. I don't, I don't bother Keynote, it doesn't bother me. All to do with slide sizes. I think we did discuss this, didn't we? I think so. Yes, Keynote had the temerity, the bald temerity, to resize my slides. My slides are the size they are for a reason, and I do not want any uppity software resizing them. So we had a disagreement and we agreed that I would use something else to present my perfectly sized slides. So I'm looking at this thinking, right, well, I'm going to have to demonstrate this. So I'll transfer a document and then I'll transfer the document back. And I was horrified by how horrible the process was. So I demonstrated it to you and I think you agreed. I certainly did. Uh, what I was trying to do was I created a new document. That was fine. No problem with that. I could email it to myself and I could also um, say to transfer it via iTunes. But what I expected to see in iTunes when I, when I plugged it in or I did a wireless sync was if I go to something like iTalk, uh, which is a, a recording software, I see a list of recordings. I don't have to do anything special. They are just there. And if I want to add a recording to it, I drag and drop it into iTunes and I sync. And if I want to take a recording out, I drag it out of iTunes. Everything's fine. What I was seeing with Keynote, I thought it was broken, but apparently it works that way. Or it doesn't work that way, depending on how you look at it. But uh, what that seems to do is it doesn't do it automatically. You've actually got to sort of say sync to iTunes and then that puts it in iTunes and then you can take it out of iTunes. But what I was trying to do with this was demonstrate the life cycle of a presentation, which may start in the desktop version. It may then get taken to the iPad. Changes may be made to it because, as I said to you, how many presenters do you know that don't make changes up to the last two seconds? Very true. I think I think most people that I've seen and, and, and supported on presentations do exactly that. Exactly. Unless it's the third, fourth or fifth time that you're presenting this. And even then you may make changes. You are going to be making changes to it. So, yes, obviously you can make changes in Keynote once it's resized your slides for you. But then you've got this second version that's on your iPad. So I assumed, well, I've already transferred it via iTunes at that point. So all I've got to do is plug it back in, do a sync and take the file out. And no, you've actually got to go through the convoluted process of saying, right, sync this back to iTunes again. And you have to do it on a per document basis. So if I'm out of the office and I've made 20 presentations. So I, I'm working away quite happily somewhere and I've got like the, the basics of a presentation, no detail. I just want to take, I just want to have the files there. So when I get back to the office, I can take them off the iPad and I can start working on working on, on them on the desktop. I just expected them to appear in iTunes and they don't. Not only that, but you can't go into the file management aspect of Keynote and just sort of tick all 20 of them. You've got to go into each individual one and say, send to iTunes, send to iTunes, send to iTunes. Then you've got to go into iTunes and you've got to drag them out. And you're never quite sure which version you've got either. So mm, 
It sank my battleship, I'm afraid, with document management. And that's before I get to iCloud. And I was sitting there thinking, whatever happened to iWork Beta in the cloud, the iWork.com Beta? I was seeing that as seamless transfer, something like Dropbox. And I don't think we're quite there yet, are we? I don't think we're there at all, no. It's actually going worse instead of better, so... I left that alone. I can see me using Goodreader for all this, you know. Yeah. Which isn't the best advert for Apple, is it? <laughs> I'll keep an open mind with iCloud and you'll drag me kicking and screaming to it. Uh, was it June next year? That's what I said. You you, you said, um, what do you say? Uh, when do you want to upgrade? And I said June 30th next year. Yeah, there's a lot to be said for that. But you see, that's what we did with the great mobile me calendar updates. It didn't fail on us, but we were dragged kicking and screaming, which isn't how I want to be with Apple. Apple, please fix stuff. You know, I would really like to just say, oh, yes, yes, I'll update to that, move to that, and everything will carry on working. Instead of which, I'm sitting here clinging desperately to old tech. This is not like me at all. Saying, no, it's not broken and I'm not fixing it. And I don't like being like that. Uh, but talking of old tech, I managed to um, give new life to my iPad 1 uh, about 10 days ago. I was um, surfing 7-day shop, as I do, and I found an iPad case. Um, looked all right. Didn't say whether it was iPad 1 or iPad 2, but I thought, well, I'll give it a go because I've got both anyway. And what it was, it's called a soft gel case. Now, I had iPad 1 in um, the original Apple case. While we're talking of Apple disasters, that was a complete monstrosity. But I bought it unseen. That's, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Uh, but it's true, actually. We, did, we didn't see that, did we? I thought we... No, no, we didn't. We no, didn't. we didn't. Because they arrived mail order, didn't yeah. they? The reason we were bothering an Apple store with iPad 1 was you and your magically multiplying iPad. Yeah, we, we were trying a Griffin A-frames and the other things, weren't we? That's right. And we were taking it out of yeah. the case. But the case did actually it did, come with it. Right. And I, you know, everyone was saying it's not great. But then when you actually see it, you think, good grief. But it was a case of, if you pardon the pun, I need something to put it in. So I might as well go with that. And if I find something better, then I will. But I didn't actually see anything that, I mean, there was there were alternative cases. but And they were quite expensive. But I didn't think they were that much better, to be honest. But the Apple one was a complete monstrosity. It really was. Um, so what this gel case is, it doesn't cover the front glass, but my iPad one, uh, it's more slung around the office to do various jobs. So if I want to watch something on the iPlayer, I'll probably watch it on iPad one. So I had the iPad one in said Apple monstrosity of a case until iPad two arrived. And then I thought, you know what? I really, really hate this case and it's going. I took it out of the case and it's been out of the case ever since. Um, but I am careful when I'm putting it down because the back isn't flat and it tends to rock on the desk. So this thing is just a back. It just covers the back. It's quite thick though. It's probably about mm, five millimeters, something like that. Uh, and it feels nice in the hand as well. It certainly doesn't feel like you're going to it's going to slip that you're going to drop it. Uh, soft gel, it's called. So whatever you want to make of that, it's not quite rubber, not quite. It's not gel though in terms of it being. I mean, when they say soft gel, it's not like a wrist rest or something like that. I just think it's just got a nice sturdy feel to it. So I decided I would treat myself and try it. It was only one ninety nine, and the price has actually reduced to one forty nine this week. So at that price, I figured I couldn't get robbed, so I tried it. And it, it really has given iPad 1 a new lease of life because now it's, 
it's not uh, i've got also got a zip case for it um, a netbook style thing and instead of putting it away i can now actually leave it out so i thought that was brilliant and you were rather taken with it i was and i got one too on your recommendation which means it, it, well, it, it, it has, hasn't it? It's just given it a whole new lease of life. Yeah. So I'll put the, the link in the show notes for that. If you've got iPad 1, you might find that useful. Um, you can get to all the ports and everything as usual, but just feels really good to, to work with it. I know you were working with it and you said, wow, it's heavy compared to iPad 2. Yeah, the whole thing, not just the fact they had the case on, but the whole thing. I, I, I was in a meeting and I used iPad 1 because my battery had gone on iPad 2. And it just, because I hadn't had it out for a week or so, it just did feel feel a lot heavier which it is it is really um it's subtle isn't it mm. you you really get used to it yeah so um that was the a case for ipad one and i noticed this week a subtle change to the ipad 2 smart cover lineup death of the as i call it easy jet orange model would that be the uh, do i not like orange model Oh, there's a blast from the footballing past, indeed. The orange is history it's been replaced with a subtle gray version Hmm. There's a thread here. To match the icons in Lion, maybe? Probably, but let's not go there. No, we better not. We better not. Um, I've also had about three or four people ask me, why did I go for a 64 gig iPhone this week? Um, the one I had, well, they were 32, weren't they? Yeah, 32. Ones? Yeah, um, most people saying they felt that 32 was adequate. And my answer was, well, video recordings, because it does sort of higher def video, photos and apps. Not particularly for me, music um, or media, because I can stream that. But particularly photos and video recordings, that's obviously what immediately springs to mind. But the app side of it, um, I worked out I had 15 gig of apps on there. Not quite sure where all those came from, nor what they do, actually. So I, I probably need to prune them back a bit. But that's why I made the decision to go for 64. But a change to iOS 5 could have made that choice even more fortuitous. Apparently, um, apps have two folders that they use to work with. The first one being a docs folder where they put, um, they store their documents and settings, etc. And that gets backed up. So when you sync, that gets backed up. And then there's another folder, which is a cache or temp folder, and that doesn't get backed up. So obviously persistent information would need to go in the docs folder. So maybe your login credentials or other information like that, your preferences, they would go in the docs and it would get backed up and everything would be fine. Now, I'm thinking you'd pretty much put everything in docs then because that way your app works as you would expect it to. But new Apple rules have meant that developers have been encouraged to store non-essential data in the cache temp folder. And the idea is that that will facilitate a much faster backup, which is going to be important if people are doing it over Wi-Fi. Um, if that was just advice, fair enough, you could ignore it. But apps are getting rejected for not doing that. Now, it wouldn't be a problem, but for the not getting backed up thing. And the cache temp folder is not backed up. So any settings that need to be stored, and they must now be stored in the cache temp folder, well, that again that would be fine okay it's not backed up so it's not perfect but it's worse than that because the contents of the, the cache temp folder get deleted when the device is running out of space mm, think about that not good because those folders are not backed up so if those folders get emptied as part of a spatial reclamation process you've lost your settings 
Now, I was reading a really good article about this, and the example given there was Instapaper, which is the information that you have in Instapaper, you send it there, so you pull all that information down. I would have thought that went in the Docs folder, but no, it, uh, the recommendation is not to put it in the Docs folder because there's a lot of it, and it can be re-downloaded. Therefore, it doesn't need to be backed up. Now, I'd argue that because you could have taken something to Instapaper to read it later. And in the meanwhile, the live copy has either disappeared or has changed. But either way, uh, they're being encouraged to use the cache temp folder. The problem with that is you could think that you've got items to read in Instapaper. And you could then be offline. You go to Instapaper to try and read them and they're not there. And of course, your opinion of Instapaper goes down and it's not Instapaper's fault. It's the phone that's reaching some sort of level where it needs to garbage collect and it goes around deleting things at will. And you have no control over that at all and neither does the developer. I thought that was insane. I thought, well, the logical answer would be to have three folders have the documents folder where you put in the persistent settings have the cache temp folder that's not backed up and can be deleted at will but f have a third one that isn't deleted at will but doesn't get backed up problem solved I have no idea why they didn't take that approach, but it's probably worth bearing in mind when you're filling your device and, you know, you're thinking, I'll put that and I'll put that and I'll fill it to almost full, you know, so I've got lots of content, maybe for travelling or something like that. Do bear in mind that I've always feel with devices, it's best to give them a little bit of extra space. Um, I think it sort of slows it down when it's got to jiggle with a, a little bit of space left. But I'll put in a link to um, a couple of articles about that. I found it fascinating reading. I can't believe that Apple didn't think that through and think that it would be a good idea to have a third folder. I don't know what you were thinking about that when I was telling you. Made interesting reading, like you said. Um, and, you know, I've always... I've, I've, I've never deliberately filled the, the device up, but I've never thought that I would need to have as much wiggle room as you're saying. Well, I didn't buy the 64 gig for that reason. As I say, I bought it, you know, thinking I always like a little bit of extra space and I can see that I'm going to be putting things on it. But it kind of ratified what I'd always thought, that you don't want to have things you know, brimming over full. It may not affect you if you don't have any apps that work like that. I just think it could be worked around. So as, as a, from a development perspective, you know, when we're sitting down and, and working out how we're going to build something, there's no way that you'd come up with that as a good idea, is there? True. So I'm hopeful that they, they'll change that when they realise the error of their ways. I can understand their need to have a fast Wi-Fi sync and you don't want to be transferring across documents. I, I completely understand that. But not to wipe out the only folder that's not backed up. That seems insane. So here's hoping they come to their senses, but you never know. Anyway, following last week's deep dive on all things ripping, we have some sage advice on handbrake settings from Jane. Hi, Elaine and Mike. I was listening to episode 57 in which Minster 68 was having problems with handbrake being unable to rip a DVD without scrambling all the chapters and heard your various recommendations for different software approaches to the problem. I wonder if I may add my rather simplistic approach to assist in solving this problem for some scrambled DVDs. 
As you said last week, some DVDs, notably Pixar Disney ones, have multiple tracks with chapters scrambled out of sequence. So when Handbrake tries to read the source DVD and decide which title track to rip, it invariably guesses at the wrong one, with the result that your ripped movie file is unwatchable. Unless, of course, you enjoy a little time travelling. So, my simple solution is as follows. Take the DVD you wish to rip and start playing it on the Mac in the DVD Player app. When the main feature has started playing, go to the menu bar and click on Go and then Title. You'll be presented with a drop-down list of numbered titles or tracks, one of which will be ticked. This is the track that is playing and is the correctly sequenced main track. Make a note of that ticked title number. Stop playing the DVD, go back to Handbrake and choose that title number from the source list provided by Handbrake. Your ripped movie file should then be perfectly sequenced and no longer in temporal flux. Oh, that last phrase is a reference to Star Trek, about which Elaine apparently knows nothing. Can you believe that? Good grief, woman, what's the use of an Oxford degree if you don't know your Star Trek? Cheers for now. Bye. So, big thanks to Jane for that. Well, apart from the Star Trek outing. Oh, the shame of it. And that's only the half of it. What about Monty Python? Mm, never seen any Python either, until our recent tweet watch of the life of Brian. What a fabulous night, eating marshmallow and flapjack whilst tweeting quotes. It was fabulous. It was, and when we finish recording, we can have some more marshmallows and flapjack. Oh, you sweet talker. <laughs> promises, promises. Right, should we call it a day then? <laughs> See you next time. Minster would never forgive us. No, because as promised, we're going to now discuss the streaming alternatives to iTunes-induced hell. Um, first streaming app, I remember, was when the App Store opened, which was um, on the launch of the 3G. And it was the wonderful Simply Media. It was the must-have app du jour. It streamed your iTunes library locally and over 3G, which at the time was amazing. Um, it's actually funny how apps come and go, though, and I hadn't seen any updates to it. But I, I was, I, you know, as I'm sitting there thinking back to it, I thought what was so amazing about that app was that the day before I, I bought it, I had a Motorola phone that I couldn't send a text on. And the next day, you've got this magical device in your hand that's streaming your iTunes library over 3G. It was completely stunning. But in the absence of any recent updates, I wondered what had happened to it. Yeah, I found something from March last year. Simplify Media late last week announced that it's moving into a new direction and will no longer be offering its popular iPhone apps that allowed users to stream their iTunes music libraries to their phones and touches, iPod touches via Wi-Fi, 3G and Edge. In May last year, um, I found this, that during his keynote presentation at Google I.O., which is, is their conference, isn't it? It's their annual developers yeah. conference. Google's vice president of engineering noted that Google has acquired Simplify Media and Google will use Simplify Media's technology to allow Android users to stream their music directly from their desktop to their phones. And if you go to simplifymedia.com, all you get is a message that says Google has acquired Simplify Media for media inquiries. Please contact press at google.com. Mm. In other words, Google killed it. Yes. 
Ah, no change there then. No, no. Um, a service that um, that I looked at is Zumocast. Did you look at Zumocast? I did. I had the app, and there's an account involved, isn't there? There is. What you do, it's a free service. Um, I signed up to it last year, and what it allows you to do is to stream your audio and video from a Mac to your iPod or iPhone, um, iPod, iPad or iPhone, via a free app. You can also download download media to your iPod. I, iPod Why don't we stick to iDevice and have done with it? <laughs> iDevices, yes. You can download your media to your iDevices for offline listening or viewing. Um, so it does allow you to, to do video as well. Um, what you do, you run the desktop app for the Mac and you specify folders that contain music and videos. So you actually effectively just go through and choose this folder, this folder, this folder. And then the app on your iDevice, you sign into your account. And then the folders that are set up on the Mac are then displayed within the app's window. You simply select a folder, select a video or a song, and it plays it. So what I did is I added my top-level iTunes music folder and it even recognised the playlists. Now, that was great, but the app was removed from the store late last year, so it's no longer available. Although, if you've still got the app, it does still work. And I did notice that the Android app in the marketplace is still available for download. So it seems to be an anti-Apple thing. Brilliant. It is supposed to work in a browser on the iDevice, um, but I found when I tried it in both Safari and the other one, it's, what's it called, Digio or something? Yeah, it used to be called iChromie. Yeah, that's the one. Um, I couldn't tap on a song or a video to play it, um, and there's a, a couple of buttons which, when I try to tap on them, said uh, require flash. Fabulous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Couldn't make it up. You can use a browser, but you need Flash. But as, as I say, certainly, if you've if you still got the app, the app still does work, which is great. I remember you saying to me, why aren't you using this one? And I knew there was a reason. And yeah. once you explained it disappeared from the store, I was highly suspicious. Because I think at the time it had been missing for maybe two, three weeks. Yeah. And I thought, hmm, that's a long time. And now you're saying, like, before Christmas, so mm. you're looking at ten months. Yeah. I don't think that's coming back anytime soon, sadly. I don't think it is. But Which um, doesn't explain really why they they wouldn't put um extra development in into it working in a browser. And then they wouldn't need to give Apple their thirty percent if they're charging for it or whatever. Quite so true. It seems ridiculous to say, well, it does work in a browser, but only on on the desktop. Quite true. Now, whilst I was researching that, I came across somebody mentioned in a, in a forum um, that they use something called Audio Galaxy, which I'd not heard of. So I, I had a look at it and it's great. I actually, I love it. And I've only used it for a couple of days. <laughs> so yes, it's uh, for me, it's a viable alternative. Works in a, in a kind of similar way. You go to audiogalaxy.com and sign up for a free account. You then download and install um, software onto your Mac, which is known as the Helper, which is similar to, to a kind of server software on, on other apps. It, it turns your Mac into a, a streaming server, local streaming server. What it does is it then searches all available drives for audio files. So this is audio only and then lists those folders. 
Uh, what you can do is you can remove any folders that you don't want uh, from this list because what it did is it's I've, I've got some WAV files and some MP3 files which are, are nothing to do with music. I think they're, they're recordings of phone conversations I've had through Skype and stuff like that. But it found those. So I removed Riveting those. entertainment you have. Yes. Um, <laughs> It's for my my cover your backside um, times, but um, let's get, let's get back to where we were. Um, you can you can add to that list. You can remove from the list, and it also finds your iTunes control files, which is great. You know the XML files. Oh, I intimately, intimately, yeah, I, know, I know them. I know you're intimately acquainted with them. So that's on the Mac, and you can then download um, an app which works for both the iPad and the the iPhone uh, from the store, and there's a link to that into the show notes. You log into your account, or you can use a Facebook login, which seems to be a ubiquitous uh, Facebook login these days, doesn't it, for everything? Yes, and embarrassingly dangerous. <laughs> yes, especially for those of us who haven't got our heads around Facebook yet. Uh, what me? I'm I was thinking of you. you and your musical choices myself. No, I'm looking at you. Um, what it does is it downloads all your playlists, albums and songs to your devices. Now, when I say download, it's not the music itself, but just the names of the playlists, the albums and the songs. That said, there is actually an offline mode, but that's only available as an in-app purchase. And... Uh, not having to wanted to purchase it, I didn't tap it to, to find out how much this in-app purchase is. What? It doesn't tell you before you try buying it? Um, well, I didn't tap it to find I'm out. Not, I'm not really keen on in-app purchases, no, you know. I'm not. And having having uh, come across some horror stories, which we covered several weeks ago... We did, yeah. Um, I, as I say, I wasn't tempted to, to tap it. There is a limit of 200,000 songs, which will probably do me, to be honest. Hmm. Don't know if it'll cover your podcast, though. Probably not, but I don't play my podcast that way anyway. I mean, you can do, because those do appear um, as, as playlists, but I've, you know, I've got other ways to, to play my podcast. This was, this was really just for music, streaming music. Um, but you can select you can select an album or a playlist and then either tap a song or you can tap play all songs and voila, it does it. Sounds great. Yeah. Um, you can actually play your music via a browser too. You you go to audiogalaxy.com, you sign in with your, your username and password that you set up and then your playlist albums and songs will be will be listed exactly as they are on the iPad and iPhone. Uh, there is like a refresh button so that if you've created any additional playlists or you've added any music to iTunes on your Mac, it updates. And just a word of warning, it can take a few hours to do that initial update. So don't be concerned that it's it's only pulled a few of your, your playlists down initially. No, it's using the same servers as, as um, mobile me calendars and iCloud yes I think mm. you're right it does work I mean it's probably no, of no interest to many people here <laughs> you know what I'm going to say don't you I know exactly what you're going to say works, I think the only person that cares is you yeah but it works in IE7 but um, you know I use IE7 at work and it, it works so it means that I can actually have my music when you say used, you mean suffer on a daily basis? Yes, um, mm. but I can have my music streaming down to my, my work laptop and annoy my uh, my colleagues. The thing is, though, it didn't work in Safari and Digio on the, on the iPad. It came up and said, doesn't support playback for this format. Use the app. Not great. No, 
um, they're obviously trying to, to, to make people use the app with the, the in-app purchase there. Um, but on the website, as I say, there is a button to refresh the playlists. And in the apps, you just swipe downwards to refresh. You can create new playlists um, on the device or the website and add songs to them. And they will then be synced across all devices and the web interface. Whether they sync back to iTunes, I don't know because I forgot to check it out. So, um, What kind of excuse is this? I will check it out and report back. You can tweet a song. Oh, please don't. So you can you can tap a tweet button, and as long as you're logged into your Twitter account, um, it, it will say sort of uh, share this song with your, your Twitter followers, and it will have the song. <laughs> Make you, them suffer too. You can also... Gumbay Dance Band isn't it wasn't there, by the way. Um, you can also Facebook a song. You've lost me complete interest now. I didn't try that, uh, but I presume it's posting to your, your status um, that you're, you're listening to a song. And you can favourite a song by tapping an icon on the screen. It's like a, a little heart icon and it changes to red and these sync across your devices too. What I can't find is a way to display all my favourites. So just bring up a playlist of favourites as it were. But uh, all in all, it, I do love it. It's, it's a great app for something I've only used for a day. It, it is a great app. This is music. This isn't, this isn't video. It's music. Right. Hmm. Just checking. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you found something that you like. Thank you. Um, I I was approaching it from a slightly different perspective. I wanted a way to play videos without having to go via iTunes with them. I do have a few videos in iTunes, but not many, to be honest. Um, most of the stuff that I'm likely to watch is in another iTunes library. Now, I know that I can uh, home share when that's feeling like it wants to work. But I was actually looking for something totally different to that. So um, there's probably hundreds of these apps that do a similar job. But um, the first one that I had a look at, I was drawn to it because of the name. And I think some of the Mac Biters might be drawn to it for the same reason. It's called VLC Streamer. And VLC is obviously um, that open source software that plays virtually anything on your Mac. So you, you might assume it's something to do with that. Um, it has a server side, like you're saying, so it turns your Mac into a, a media server, has a client side. Luckily, there was a free version because the client side for your iDevice is a paid for app. But I thought I'll try the free one first and it's ad supported. So, yes, it plays your media, but there are ads at the bottom of it. Uh, problem I had with it was, although I could get it to work, I couldn't get any audio out of it at all. It's like, the, like the silent movies. <laughs> yes, I tried all the usual things. No, it wasn't on mute. Um, I changed the function of the button on the side just in case, tried all of that. And no matter what I did with it, I could not get any audio out of it. So I'm afraid that one bit the dust rather early. So if you are thinking about getting that one, do try the ad supported version first and make sure that you can actually hear something. Um, then I moved on to uh, something called Air Video. Now, these apps were kind of big about ooh, just over a year ago. Everybody seemed to be talking about this kind of app and it's sort of gone a bit quiet, but I'm still using this app. It's um, an iDevice only solution. There's two parts to it. As we're saying, most of these work in a very, very similar way. Um, it has free server software that you run on your Mac. So you download that from airvideoapp.com. 
and it runs as a menu bar app. It has a single window for configuration. So the first option is, is the server running yes, no? And you've got a little slider there to make the server run or not. And then you've got five tabs full of control settings. Uh, the most important one is the first one, and that's shared folders. So in there, you can add folders from any drive on your Mac. You can also add your iTunes playlists and then there's far more esoteric little settings for subtitles, quality, streaming, all of that. You can change port numbers. So all of that controlled through that server software. The other half of it is then an app that you put on your iDevice and that is £199. That's £199. And it's a video player. It fills the screen. It has an integrated file browser. It only plays videos, but it does play various file formats. Now, if required, because it supports more file formats than iTunes, you can convert these, these uh, videos on the fly. Um, you can also pre-convert them, which obviously means it streams a bit faster. So what you get in the app is a list of servers on the left-hand side. And as you click on the servers, and now a server being any machine on your network that's running the free server software. Uh, you, as you click on the server, it drills down into a list of shares available from that server. And then you keep drilling down until you get down to the video files. Now, if a file isn't playable, it won't even show it. So I've got in the middle of some of my video files, I have audio files and they're just not there at all. So it plays all the main video formats, um, like I say, including some iTunes can't. You've got MP4s, M4Vs, MOVs, AVIs, WMVs, they're the bane of my life, WMVs, uh, ASF, MPEGs, MKVs, which I think are, um, I have seen an MKV. I think they're more downloaded, I think we'll, we'll call those. Uh, 3GP, DMF, DivX and Flash Video handy. Um, so there's all those file formats. And like I say, there's play, which will just literally play the file. There's play with live conversion. Now that would be needed for something like an AVI or a, or a DivX file. Um, it can't play anything with DRM in it though. Uh, and then there's this convert option, which gives you an offline conversion. You are supposed to be able to, because there's four buttons and the fourth one is add to iTunes. You're supposed to be able to add the video that you're playing to an iTunes playlist. Now I've tried this half a dozen times. It just doesn't work. Um, you found something where someone was saying that they've tried it. And it looks like there's problems with certain iTunes installations where it doesn't respond to air video servers request to add a new file to the library. Do you think it means mine? I think it does, yes. <laughs> yeah, certain iTunes installations. Yes. I'll have you know, mine is now completely submissive to me, so it should be behaving itself. But uh, maybe it, it just, it, it don't do things without my express permission, so maybe that was why. Um, then you've got the player. So the, the player goes full screen, and you've got a progress scrubber at the top. You can adjust the volume and it also has airplay. So if you're uh, streaming it down to your iPad and you then want to airplay it to your Apple TV, you can do that. There's a zoom option which gives you a finer level of control for the display. So maybe if you, you want to zoom in because you've got like blackboard around it or something, you can do that there. Um, the actual controls that I found the most useful for some strange reason, they decided to hide them away. It's an extra set of hidden controls. Um, it's got a down pointing arrow. And if you click that, the 
controls that you can see move up and you get some extra ones. And these extra ones take you back or forward 30 seconds. Um, and there's also a fast forward and a rewind. All you've got to do is put your finger on it and keep it pressed. Now, I found that to be much more accurate than the um, scrubber at the top. I always find those to be completely inaccurate. And the back and forward 30 seconds, I, I see a lot of back 30 seconds, which is great if you've missed something usually when the dog's barking. But the forward 30 seconds is equally useful if what you're watching has got adverts in it and you want to keep moving it forward a little bit. So those controls I find brilliant and I don't know why they actually, it's harder to get to those. You've got to click to bring the controls up and then click again to bring up these hidden ones. They were that well hidden, I didn't know about them. I must admit, I didn't know about them for quite some time while I was using that app. Now I, I had problems um, well, yeah, this is how come I ended up looking for another app. I had problems with it where it would stop streaming, but I think that was network issues rather than the app itself, because I then had it in other applications, so it wasn't the app. But because of that, I was more concerned about trying to get a whole program to stream than I was looking for extra controls. And I just thought, I wonder what this one does. And when I clicked it, up popped these options. And I thought, what? why would you hide those? They are so useful. I couldn't understand it. Uh, now, there is a free version for trialling it. The only limitation I could find on it was it limits the number of items that are shown in each folder. So if you have sort of 100 episodes of something, you're only going to see a few. But it's certainly enough to, to let you try it and see if it works for you. So the whole point of these apps is really so you're not transferring um, files backwards and forwards to your iPad. I actually find that more useful. Um, I don't want to waste my time transferring it because if I'm going to do that, I'm going to have to do it via Goodreader, um, which would let me do it outside of iTunes. Or I'd have to have all these files in iTunes. And like I say, they're not in iTunes. And I don't really want to be juggling files. I find that such a waste of time. So to be able to stream them from, from wherever they are, I find such a big benefit. So when I had my problems with uh, what turned out to be network issues, it'll be that microwave oven, you know, it's got a mind of its own. Um, I found another app which is called Stream to Me. Now, this one was it's very, very similar to Air Video. So if you've got Air Video, you'll immediately know exactly what Stream to Me does. But it is it, there's a bit of a twist on it that's slightly different. So this one has three parts to it. So we, we talked about having a server side to it and then a client side on your iDevice. This has three parts to it, but you may only need two. It depends what you're going to do with it. Um, first of all, you've got this free server software. Now, strangely, the server software has a different name to the app. The app is streamed to me. The server software is served to me. So again, it's free because it's no use without the app. Uh, it runs as a menu bar app and you can start and stop the server directly from the menu. So you don't have to go into the preferences to turn it on and off. And it has a single interface for the configuration again. Now that single interface shows you the local address, the external address, the port number. Um, you also have server settings so you can set the video quality. You can say whether you need a password. And yet, like I say, you can set port numbers on it in there as well. Difference with this one is it has library integration. So you can integrate with both your iTunes playlists and also iPhoto. So it can actually stream photos to you. 
Again, you create share points on it. So you create shared folders. So I did like you did, which was just share an entire iTunes drive. Um, I also shared some other drives that, that had stuff on it. You can, if you want to, you don't have to share the whole drive. You can drill down to a folder and just share that folder. So I created about three or four of those. So that is the server side setup. Then on your iDevice, um, there is a player and that is £1.99 as well, £1.99. And again, to look at, it's pretty similar to Air Video. It has a video player that has an integrated file browser. Uh, but new in one of the latest versions, because what was annoying me with Air Video was it was so good. I used it for so long, but what it wouldn't do was play audio files. I know the clues in the name. Uh, video, but that's not the point. I wanted to be able to play audio files, including um, audiobooks, which are oh, M M3Bs. Is that right? I can't that remember. Right, M3Bs. Go, go and find me what, what the file format is, but whatever it is, audiobooks. M M uh, MP3 audiobooks I wanted to play. M4B or something. I, well, I thought M4B, but you've typed M3B. It was just to put me off. Get me back for your teeth. Um, well, it won't play audiobooks from Audible because they have Audible DRM on it, but it will play audio files and it will play audiobooks. So I am in heaven with this app. It plays everything that I want, want it to play. Um, again, it will convert on the fly if it needs to. So for AVIs and DivX file formats again. You can also convert in hand so it's ready to play. You get your list of servers and again you drill down your list of shares and you drill down to video files, only in this one it's actually all playable files. Again it plays video file formats that iTunes do doesn't. Uh, MP4, AVI, MOV, Flash Video, MPEGs, MKVs, Windows Meta files again, no Windows files, in Win Windows, WMV anyway. Um, it also plays MP3s, unprotected AACs, and FLAC files. So M4B, by the way. An M4B, you see, I, I knew. Well, I didn't type that, did I? Yes. Oh. <clears throat> well, I meant M4B, but I'm blaming you anyway. So, as I was saying, uh, DRM'd files can't can't play them. Now, what will happen with audiobooks is it just ignores them. It, it doesn't understand an audible file format, which is a .aa or a .aax. But if it is a DRM'd file that it does actually understand, uh, but it knows that it's DRM'd, it will, it can't be played in the app. But, and this is the same with Air Video, there is a one-click option to open that file in Safari. And it gives you a message and it explains that if the device that you're using um, is authorised to play the content, by which I'm assuming it means the Apple ID matches the file you're trying to play, then it will actually work. So I thought, well, I need to test this. So I'm looking through my iTunes library because that's, that's the only place I would be likely to have a DRM file. And I thought I didn't have any for testing purposes. Uh, most of the stuff that was in there was stuff I'd recorded or... Um, I don't even know where half of it came from. <laughs> Sometimes I export a video and there's an option and it says add to iTunes and I ignore it and obviously it adds it to iTunes and then I think, what on earth is that doing there? But no, I was saved by the 12 days of Christmas. And the classic that is, lesbian vampire killers. I knew it would come in handy one day. 
And um, yes, it works. I can confirm that does actually work. It wouldn't play the file within the app, but when I clicked it, it opened it up in a browser. Not a classic, is it? No. Although I, on- I only got two to three minutes in, but believe you me, that was enough. Anybody who's seen it would realise exactly what I mean. Um, now, this one has the uh, same kind of controls. It has the progress scrubber at the top, volume. I couldn't see an airplay option, which I did find very strange. But I could not find an airplay option on it. Um, there is a single maximise control, so you don't have that fine level of control of the zoom that you do with air video, but you do have this maximise option, which just sort of moves it slightly. Um, there's a single set of controls, and there is a lot fewer than you've got in air video. You can only go back 30 seconds, so that's not great for ads. And there's also no fast forward or rewind where you, where you keep your finger pressed. You would have to use the scrubber. It does, however, give you options to play an individual file, play the files continuously, randomise the files and sort them. There's also a history option. You hit this history option and it gives you a list of what you've recently played. So those are slightly different. The history option is really nice, I think. Um, the thing that makes this one appeal, apart from the fact it plays the audiobooks, and audio files in general. It is blindingly fast to navigate those files. So that actually does make up for the limited control that you've got. One of the problems I found, I mean, you mentioned it and you said it downloads the control files and it can take a long time to, to sort through them and get them all sorted out. That was the problem I had. If I try to access an iTunes library that isn't mine, in fact, if I try and access mine, it's, it's twice as bad. Um, I find it incredibly slow. It does connect via home sharing and then it goes through this hideous process that seems to go on for about four or five minutes while it seems to try and read stuff in. Once it's once it's read it in, it will play it. It's just it just takes so long. And if I then realise that's the wrong library, so then I have to go to another library. It'll take just as long to load that one in. Well what this app does once you've, as long as the drive is, is awake, some drives nod off when you're not using them, but as long as the drive's awake, it's instant. You literally hit the share, you hit the folder and you're drilling down and it is instant. I, it's so fast, it is unbelievable. So I think that one so far. Now, the third part to it that this one has that Air Video does not have is that there is a free version that you can buy from the Mac App Store. I said buy on a free thing then, didn't I? It's all right. Apple say that you buy it, even though it's free. Now you're thinking the Mac App Store. Yes, it's not for your iDevice. It is for the Mac. So go to the Mac App Store, download it for free. It installs a player on your Mac. Now, obviously, you're not going to need the player and the server software on the same Mac. It is to enable you to have access to and play files from wherever you do have the server software on your Mac rather than your iDevice. And it's it's free and it works really well. So actually you're only paying for one part of the three-part solution. The first part is the free server software. It's £1.99 for the iDevice version and there is a free version for your Mac. The, the Mac version is so similar to the iDevice version that using a mouse with it feels strange. 
you're looking at the interface and it just looks like the iPad version. <laughs> like you want to use, you, you, I, I keep reaching out to touch it. I'm, I'm ahead of Apple, aren't I? You are, yeah. Yes. Sooner or later, there will be an iMac that's a touchscreen, and I'm already there. Yes. But it's brilliant. It works just as quickly on that as, it, as um, the iDevices. So I can access what is, in effect, another iTunes library on another machine, but not through home sharing and all that hideosity. And I find that absolutely brilliant. So I think that probably edges it, the fact that I can use that on a Mac as well for the princely sum of one ninety nine for the whole solution. You know what's happening now, don't you? No. I'm tempting Jenna to part with cash mm. again. Mm. Mm. But it is, it is very cost effective and very, very worthwhile. But that's not the end of our streaming look, is it? No, but I'm going to say I think I might try that one um, because although I've tried Audio Galaxy and I, and I love it, um, I haven't had the chance to try that one, but uh, on your recommendation, I will. Talking of Audio Galaxy, I have checked iTunes and it hasn't pulled the um, playlist across that I created on my iDevice. So it might just be between iDevices and uh, and the um, the browser version of Audio Galaxy. It doesn't seem to write back to iTunes itself. Well, that's exactly the problem I had, that it wasn't writing it to yeah. iTunes. Maybe it's iTunes. Maybe you've got a dodgy installation as well. Maybe I have. Um, <laughs> Insulted or what? Mm, the the other app that I wanted to look at was the ITV app, um, which is used to, to stream programmes from the Elgato ITV. Now, as, as most people know, um, we don't own a TV set, do we? No. Most people that we know own at least one TV set, and these days it's usually probably a wall-mounted plasma of about 40 inches. Now, when we watch TV, it really is on the small screen. All our viewing is done on our Macs, MacBook Pro, iPad or iPhone. What I have, uh, and you've got the same, haven't you, connected to your Mac, um, I've got an Elgato iTV, um, which is a USB TV tuner and recorder. And I usually have the app's window size to about six inches. I think you have a similar size. I do. Similar size to yours. Yeah. I'm not sniggering. I'm totally not sniggering. Uh, no, Get on with it. It doesn't, doesn't sound like... Don't sit here discussing various sizes. Now you're putting me off. You're asking for trouble. You started it. The iPhone... Um, or take my teeth away. Sorry? <laughs> Nothing. Carry on. <laughs> this is going to descend into chaos, isn't it? What? You mean like it hasn't already? <laughs> right, I'm quiet now. Okay, thank you. There is an iPhone iPad app, and when you connect that to the, the same Wi-Fi network as your Mac, uh, the app displays a list of all the Macs on your network that have the ITV software installed. What you do, you tap the name of the Mac whose TV that you want to, you want to stream, and if the ITV software isn't running on the Mac that you select, it actually asks you if you want to start the ITV running. So you can watch live TV on your iPad or iPhone. You can watch a program that you've previously recorded. You can display a list of future programs that are scheduled for recording on the Mac, and you can view uh, a channel guide. 
Can I can I add one thing there that's actually on point and relevant? Yes. Yes. Um, I actually had an issue with that. Uh, you've missed one thing that you can do, which is you can also not only just display what's scheduled for recording, but you can actually add a schedule for recording. Now, this was really significant because we were out for the day. I know that's incredibly unusual. And I'd locked my office. And when I got back, I, I couldn't find the key quickly enough. In fact, I couldn't find the key at all. <laughs> this I shouldn't go out. And... Um, I was trying to get into said office to record something. So I'm on the wrong side of a locked door. And then I remembered my iPhone and that the ITV was turned on on the other side of this locked door. And I was actually able to bring up the computer, find the program I wanted to record, press record on the iPhone, you set a schedule for it. But it was like imminently in 30 seconds and it worked brilliantly. So you didn't mention that you can actually schedule from the phone as well. No, it's uh, that that's a great feature. Yes, on the wrong side of a locked door and it worked. You can do that remotely over 3G, I think, can't you? Yes, you can. Yeah, with a little bit of configuration. And... I would say with that, you've got to be quite careful with the router you, that you've got and the configuration yeah. settings. It, I find it works like it works when it feels like it. Jiggery-pokery, what do you say? Sacrifice a chicken? Yes. Yeah. If you're watching live TV or if you want to watch live TV on your iDevice, tap the channel that you want to watch. And the only thing to be careful of here is if you've got the iTV running on the Mac, then the Mac will then be tuned to that channel. So if somebody is watching a different channel, you know, um, it's going to... No, no, I'm ahead of you. I'm ahead of you. Yes, don't don't be caught watching anything dodgy is what you mean. Yes, I didn't didn't think of it that way, but then I I don't watch dodgy programmes. No, of course you not don't. Not those kind of dodgy programmes, anyway. No. Now, if you want to watch a recording on your iDevice, then it has to be prepared. Um, and you do that by right-clicking the recording in the Mac version of the iTV app and selecting Prepare for iPhone Access. What it doesn't do, it doesn't convert the file to an, an M4V or any other kind of uh, iDevice-compatible file format. It remains a .ITV file, but it's now playable as a streaming file from the Mac on the phone and the iPad. And the good thing is on the iPad, it actually plays at uh, full screen. It's not one of these these two times, uh, two size, I, I don't know what how you actually call it, but two times apps where it, it kind of pixelates it up. Uh, hate to burst your bubble here, but it's lying to you. Is it? Yes. It does, in fact, export it. It does create an iPhone-compatible version, and um, it's hiding it from you by storing it inside the ITV recording file. That's why I didn't know about it. Mm. So preparing for iPhone access takes exactly the same length of time as it would do to export it, and it increases the ITV file size accordingly because it's actually storing a totally separate file inside an app package. But um, that's the one thing that annoys me with the ITV. I don't want to have to go through a prepare for iPhone access to be able to stream the thing, and there is a much quicker way to play an ITV file. If you've got Air Video or Stream to Me, both of those apps via the server components will allow you to access the contents of an ITV file. An ITV file is a package file and inside it you will find an MPEG that's stored inside it. You can find that file and play it directly. It does take longer to buffer because the file size is so much larger. Um, It's a full quality file. It's not exported and compressed. But it will actually play and it saves a ton of time because you don't have to go through and manually convert 
each and every one of them. So that's another good reason to use Air Video or Stream to me. I actually found when I was watching live TV the other night that I had no audio and the volume was set to maximum on the iPad using the volume switch on the side but when I double tapped on the home button to bring up the list of currently running apps and then swipe my finger across to the right to bring up the volume controls the mute button was actually turned on for some reason uh, but if I just tapped that volume icon it did restore the sound. So it's is that controlled on an app-by-app -app basis, that mute button? I'm not sure that that wasn't a throwback to... Because you said you, you were reading an article about it, that it wasn't a throwback to when the um, function of the button on the side was changed. Ah, right. Could because be. I didn't have that problem at all. I did try that as a solution for VLC streamer having no sound and no that wasn't the problem with that I still didn't have any sound it was not on mute but I think it could have been set on the software at the point that the button did when when the button was changed to be mute maybe you had it on mute at that yeah. point and then when you rechanged the button it didn't actually sort of kick it into shape in any way shape or yeah. form because mine wasn't set like that I see what you mean. I've uh, I've actually written a, a short blog post on uh, that that uh, that app, and I will go and amend it now to take account of what you told me about the uh, the preparing and exporting. <laughs> oh, I managed to give you some work then. Fabulous. Yes, I'll stick I'll well, stick a link in the show notes. There's loads of apps that do a similar job, like we've said. So let's be hearing from you guys. What do you use and why? Maybe somebody's actually got iTunes working. Mm. iTunes hates me. <laughs> Feelings mutual. But now it's time for MacLoveBytes. And we've heard from Susanna, who's a long-time MacBiter, admits to have missed our comeback this year, and is now 10 episodes behind. Great to have you back with us, but good grief. That's more delinquent than Strategy Oracle, who I believe is currently up to date, or was before this episode. But absolutely great to have you back with us, Susanna. Good to hear from you again. And talking of magbiters, it's time for feedback and comments. And this week we heard from Barry. Great to hear from you, Barry. He tells us that he's enjoying our newfound frequency, which is always good to hear. We've also heard, for the second time this episode, from Jane. Yes, in the lap of luxury, I think. Hello, magbiters. Jane from Perth, Australia, here once again. Before I start rambling on, I must apologise for the poor sound quality today. I will explain a little later on why that is. Part of the reason is I've contracted a head cold, so please forgive my gravelly nasal voice. Well, what a busy few weeks it's been, with iPhone rumours, then the iPhone 4S announcement, followed all too quickly by the very sad news of the death of Steve Jobs. There is nothing I can say that hasn't already been said with regards to Steve's world-changing achievements only that the results of his endeavours changed the techie side of my life since I ventured into the world of Apple in August 2005. This change of computer platform directly led to my listening to podcasts, then doing a few audio segments on a couple of Mac-related podcasts, and joining Twitter, which in turn led to the first Liverpool tweet-up in December 2009, and to the second Liverpool tweet-up last month. So, as a direct result of Apple products, I've got to meet some wonderful people, not only across the interwebs, but in the real world as well, if real world is the right phrase. And long may Steve Jobs' influence continue to improve people's interaction with technology. 
One of Steve's last creations, the MacBook Air, has accompanied me on my five-week visit to the UK, and it has been a paragon of lightweight travel computing. Light enough to slip into my carry-on bag, and for the various flights, sleek enough to slip into a good-sized handbag for the shorter excursions. Add to this the super-quick start-up, and I can declare that I have fallen in love with the MacBook Air. As you may know, this time I travelled with my husband, and so we also carried an iPhone 4 each, and shared an iPad, and were therefore fully kitted out with the Apple gear at all times. But just having that extra flexibility of a full laptop, as well as the iOS devices, was the icing on the cake. And of course, most of the tech gear was carried in the hand luggage, so going through security at Perth, Dubai, Manchester, and later through Liverpool and Nîmes in France, I was always a little nervous as I expected alarm bells, sirens and flashing lights to start as the multitude of devices, cables and accessories passed through the scanners. But needless to say, all went well. On my travels between Australia and the UK, I used Emirates Airline, based in Dubai. <coughs> The journey consists of an 11-hour flight from Perth to Dubai and a 7.5-hour flight from Dubai to Manchester. Plenty of time to succumb to fatal bout of boredom, you may think. But oh no, Emirates provides a fabulously comprehensive in-flight entertainment system. There are on-demand movies, TV shows, including live news updates, video games, radio programs, music channels, plus the ability to send emails and text messages from the in-flight entertainment system. But there is no in-flight Wi-Fi available on any Emirates aircraft until the system is introduced in 2012. Now I'm going to give my age away here, but I remember when in-flight entertainment on long-haul flights consisted of one movie being shown by an overhead projector to a drop-down screen at the front of the cabin. If you didn't like the film or miss the beginning of the film, that was tough. Although any idea of in-flight, <coughs> sorry. Although the idea of an in-flight bar is nothing new, as South African Airways had them upstairs on the Boeing 747 jumbos back in the 1970s. Oh well, now you know I'm really, really old. Anyway, back to Emirates. <coughs> Today we're on the Airbus A380. Further techie features include laptop power in every seat, except economy, where there is a power outlet shared between two seats, which, to be honest, is more than ample. The first class and business seats offer a USB interface, allowing you to show your own photos on a 23-inch screen or read documents, although I haven't actually tried this feature. You can even store your favourite seat position on the USB hub sorry, on the USB stick, and use it on any Emirates multi-position seat on any aircraft. The provided set of noise-cancelling headphones are barely needed on this aircraft, it is so quiet. You can hardly tell you've even taken off. Hmm. A quick look out of the window confirms we have actually left Manchester Airport. Okay, just in case any of you think I have some sort of affiliation with Emirates, I don't. I only wish that a relative of mine worked for them so that I could benefit from employee discounts. I'm sure you've seen those bumper stickers where it says, I'm spending my kids' inheritance. Well, I'm doing just that, and probably my own inheritance as well. Anyway, just once in a blue moon you've got to do it, haven't you? So, 
If you haven't guessed it by now, I am at this moment travelling at 41,000 feet somewhere over Eastern Europe and thought it would be fun to record this audio in flight. As I know once I return to Oz, I will be engaged in a battle with huge mountains of laundry and associated stuff for days. Not today, not to mention suffering jet lag and falling asleep at any and every opportunity. So here we have the first MacBytes audio segment from an airborne A380. I've just watched the sci-fi movie Paul, a whimsical tale of an alien trapped on Earth. Not a bad film, but I've seen better. Anyhow, there is one thing I can't do amongst all this luxury. Oh, did I mention there are two showers at the front of this plane, in bathrooms that are larger than those in some houses? I'll be trying that little feature out later. And Elaine, perhaps it's best not to mention showers to Mark Dalton. Anyway, back to the one thing I can't do here at this moment, and that's download iOS 5. Yes, the exciting new operating system for all those iOS devices is, as I speak, filtering its way into millions of Apple devices below me. I imagine those twinkling lights I can see out of the windows as we pass over Istanbul is the Ethernet pulsing away as it streams iOS 5 around the world to millions of excited iPhone and iPad users. Oh, and not forgetting the iPod Touch peeps as well. So, have sympathy for a geek. Out of touch from the hive mind at just the time iOS 5 is released. And cue the violins for this poor wretched soul. You see, it's not all perfect in my little cocoon of luxury here. So I bid you farewell from Emirates Flight EK-18, seat 3A, as I settle down in my comfy bed to catch a couple of hours rest before we land at Dubai. Cheers everyone, and catch you all next time, when I'll be firmly planted on the ground. Thank you Jane for that, but uh, showers, what was that all about? Oh, Jane's referring to an epic MacBytes Live. It was about oh, probably probably over 18 months ago now. Um, it must have been, I've been trying to work out times, it must have been an Apple event, which would have been about 6pm UK time. Well, we um, followed the event and we chatted and chatted and seven and a half hours later, as we prepared to catch up with a couple of hours sleep, it was time for her morning shower which was enjoyed with Mark and the backbiters for company. From memory, I think you'd already gone to bed. You pegged on us and you missed all the fun, including Jane's shower. So if you've never attended a MacBytes Live, there's a prime reason for doing so. How can you not want to attend? And talking of Mark Dalton, he reports he's putting his wireless sync to good use by wirelessly syncing MacBytes to his iPhone. Good man. I'm thinking extra MacBytes points for that, I think. And we heard from Derek, who's breaking Elaine's heart by sending us a link with some photos of a, an iPhone that's been cracked open. Oh, Derek's terrible to me. He is. <laughs> he sends me pictures of Will It Blend. And they're heartbreaking. They really are. This one was just a dismantled iPhone 4S. And I'm, I'm cradling my baby thinking, no, it won't happen to you. Oh, I, I, I know it's interesting in a, in a sort of perverse kind of way, but it is. It's heartbreaking. Oh, dear. I'm sure like a jigsaw, they've put it all together again. I bet they didn't. <laughs> I bet they didn't. Oh, actually, yes. If they were going to put it back together again, maybe they could use one of those cases that somebody had the temerity to send me a link to. You know, the new case for the iPhone? The pink one. 
That's the one. Yes. Um, there, it was people who wanted to change from a black iPhone to a white one. And there's this kit to do it with. And one of them is pink. Yes, just no. Just no. No, no, no. Uh, we also heard from Colin Payne, who had a brilliant idea. Yes, he's saying that um, he's starting to use Flickr and Dropbox to replace some of the features of Mobile Me, but he's not confident iWeb will continue. So he's given us an idea for a future show and said, would you consider looking at iWeb, Mobile Me and hosting alternatives? So I think that's a really good idea. I've heard from about three people who are saying, what am I going to do with Mobile Me goes? So I think that would be a good idea for a show. Also says, great show, carry on the great work. So uh, we intend to, and yes, we love your idea. So we will have a look at alternatives to iWeb and all things hosting in a future show. And we've heard from Minster. We always hear from Minster. Oh, got to hear from Minster. Things are back to normal at MacBytes HQ. Epic rants. Another one this week. Mm. Upgrade nightmares. Yep, more this week. Has he actually written this script? <laughs> I think he's moved in. And a ha- yes, has he? I haven't seen him. And a handbag that makes the good Doctor's TARDIS seem small. Oh, and not forgetting Siri, your personal assistant, that won't make the tea. Once again, you guys have spoilt us. And no mention of next week. <gasps> the infamous words next, next week. week. Next week, next week, next week. No, 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 don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. So, thank you, guys. Great to hear from you all. And that's it for this episode of Matt Bites. As always, we would love to hear from you, so send your comments, queries, questions by email to mattbitesuk at gmail.com or you can use the form on the website or send an audio file. And how about leaving a comment on the show notes at macbytes.co.uk? Don't forget to keep sending us your love bites. And if you're feeling particularly generous, how about showing us some love on iTunes with a review? You can sign up for the newsletter at macbytes.co.uk. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash macbytes. You can follow me personally on Twitter at twitter.com slash Elaine Giles. You can follow me at twitter.com slash Thomas Mike. But until next time, this has been Elaine and Mike bringing you Macbytes. Goodbye. Goodbye and see you next time. Siri, make me some tea. Let me think about that. Mm, getting there. Siri, will there be a MacBytes next week? I'm afraid I can't answer that. Sorry about that. <laughs> Not half as sorry as poor Minster. <laughs>